0: And this morning i want to speak about the secret of god's master plan unfolded the secret of god's master plan unfolded in our family we have a policy of no secrets so when someone comes up to our children and says i've got a secret for you they let them know that that information will be shared with their parents not us this is for the protection of our children because too many people are hurt when they're forced, or at least feel, have the feeling of being forced to keep things a secret when they really need to come out. Now, there's one exception to our no secrets policy, and that's Christmas time and other gift times. And you're like, keep secrets then, because we all like that element of surprise, and so uh, we don't want to lose that element of surprise Well, it's oh, we can't keep the secret from that, you know? There's another... Uh, Exceptions to that no secrets policy, so to speak, and I don't think I need to say it, but that doesn't apply to our counselling. If somebody shares things in privacy of a counselling room, that stays in the privacy of a counselling room, room. That doesn't get spoken abroad to anybody else. It stays private. But apart from those things, those obvious things, we do have that no secret policy for the protection of our family, and it has worked very well. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about secrets, Because some secrets need to come out, okay? And uh, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The Bible term for secret is the word mystery. You might see that word mystery in the Bible. It also means secret. It can be translated secret. It's the idea behind it. And so we're in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. Again, the title of this morning's message is The Secret of God's Master Plan Unfolded. Let's read the text, and then we'll get into our message this morning. Paul said in Ephesians 3 verse 1, For this cause... I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me me to you, word, how that by revelation he hath made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same, and of the same body and partakers of his promise of Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am blessed than the least of all his saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ." And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Christ Jesus, to, by Jesus Christ. To the intent and now, that now unto the principalities and unto the powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purchased in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him, Whereof I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations, for you, which is your glory. Now I want to say this morning, as you read through the book of Ephesians, Paul was like a doctor, he was very well educated, sometimes he writes things a bit complicated, and uh, you can't simplify it, because you go to the Greek, that's exactly how it is in the Greek language, so it's translated as you wrote, okay? So we're going to break down everything he said and we're going to break down this text so we can all understand it together. But really what it's talking about is God's secret now being revealed. Let's go to a Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I do pray you bless your word. I pray you minister to our hearts this morning. I pray your grace will be poured out in, in, in wonderful ways. Lord, we need to see what this mystery is all about. We need to understand what this secret is all about. We need to know how it applies to us today, 2,000 years after it was revealed please open our hearts and open our lives to this precious secret and I pray we'll be changed this morning because of the things we hear today in the precious name of King Jesus. Amen. Amen. First thing I want to share is number one, Paul had a secret worth sharing. Paul had a secret worth sharing. we won't read the six verses of verse 2 to 8 again but I would just say this. It's worth sharing something that God himself has shown you. It's worth sharing something that God himself has shown you. Verse two, three, and four. If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, words how that by revelation he has made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote forward to you in a few words, whereby when you read, ye may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ. So you'll see in those three verses, which he, made, which he has given me, To you, word, he had made made known unto me. You may understand my knowledge of the mystery. Paul had made known his mystery that God had shown him in all three verses. Paul had realized that God, 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 Paul had revealed that God had given him this mystery, and he was to make it known. So, what is a mystery? A mystery is a doctrinal truth that was hidden in the Old Testament but now revealed in the New Testament. An example of a mystery would be the rapture. We read about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we don't read about the rapture in the Old Testament. We read about it in the Old Testament that God is coming back, Jesus is coming back, and He's coming back with the thousands of the saints, but it doesn't explain the idea of a rapture. It's a mystery. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all be changed. Uh, we shall not all sleep, should I say. But we shall all be changed. So it's a mystery. It was hidden, but now it's being revealed. So this is another example of a mystery. It's a secret. Brethren, I want to tell you this morning that the secret is over. There was a hidden secret. It's now over. A new dispensation has begun. and in, in, Look at verse 2. It says here, If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. We're in a new era. Until 1989, the Official Secrets Act... Who's ever heard of the Official Secrets Act? Uh, no, no Okay, well, I, there was an Official Secrets Act that kept routine information in the UK secret to the public. It was in the news several years ago, okay? But anyway, but there was a Freedom of Information Act in 2000. Has anybody heard of the Freedom of Information Act? No, OK, you've probably heard of it, you just maybe forgot. But anyway, uh, the Freedom of Information Act means that things which are largely in the public, th- th- that are, are were largely, uh, inf- information must be disclosed if it's requested, unless there's a reason to keep it secret. Basically, that's what it, it comes down to. So in other words, information is being declassified quite quickly. The New Testament has declared that the mysteries hidden in the Old Testament are being declassified. When you read through the Old Testament, you don't always understand the doctrines of the Bible. As you read through the Old Testament, it doesn't make sense. You You can't understand clearly about heaven as you read through the Old Testament. It's like a mystery, but it's not a mystery. If you read through the Old Testament, you read about hell, you don't understand how it all works. You don't even fully understand how salvation works. You just know there's these systems going on. But the New Testament opens it all up. Are you with me here? The New Testament opens up the Old Testament. It's like this lens. and The New Testament is the teacher. The New Testament takes a third of the Old Testament, if you like, and just explains it all and opens up the whole scriptures. But it also explains mysteries, things hidden that are now made known. It's worth sharing something that God has shown you. And Paul was shown this mystery, this secret he wanted to make known. He was ready to broadcast it to the world what God has shown him. It's worth sharing what God Himself has shown you, but also it's worth sharing that the day of prejudice is over. I think we can relate to that, can't we? We hear a lot about prejudice. A lot. Look at verse 5 and verse 6. Which in other times, other ages, was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So in other words, the Gentiles, everything being opened up to the Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles were at odds. In the same way that Protestants and Catholics were at odds up north for years. And it wasn't until the Good Friday agreement that a peace process was beginning. Do you understand what I'm saying? And there was a peace process that was brought through the gospel. But not everybody wants peace. Some people want that argument going on between the Protestants and the Catholics. Some people want that argument going on between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews back then thought of Gentiles as dogs, unclean pagan. You say, who are the Gentiles? That's us. So back in the Old Testament, the Jews looked upon us, they were all dogs. Now some of you like dogs, but they didn't like dogs. No, that wasn't a compliment. You said, oh, I'm a fluffy dog. No, you wouldn't have thought that way. You ever see those dogs, those wild dogs on the, on the African plains, when they're hunting down food? You ever see those wildlife things? I, I like that stuff, you know? I, like, I, 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 I find nature fascinating. But they were unclean, they were pagan, that was us. Gentiles were far from God in the Old Testament. But I want to tell you something, there's no reason to despise people just because they're far from God. Would you agree with that? There was such division, there was even hostility between these two groups, and I think we can relate to this. There's hostility between people groups all the time. Don't we see it all the time? But you know, the greatest hostility back then was between Jews and non-Jews, at least in the Jewish mind. I want to tell you something this morning. I hear people say, religion divides. Religion doesn't divide. I'll tell you what divides. Sinful and prejudiced man. That's what divides. What divides people is the state of a sinful heart. But that prejudice never began in the heart of God. Think of Gentiles in the Old Testament that God loved. We have the Book of Job in the Bible. Job wasn't a Jew. We don't know what he was. He wasn't a Jew. He would have been a Gentile. Who else? Ruth. Ruth. She was a Moabite. She was a Gentile dog, as she would have been called by the Jews. But yet, God received Ruth, didn't he? And he received her, and he treated her like he treats anybody else. God is not prejudiced against anyone. You know, people say, well, what color is God? What religion is God? God doesn't have a religion, he's God. I, I had this conversation with somebody, he was just, yes, this week, and, and I said to him, You know, God is not Catholic. He said, oh, I always say that, I know God's not Catholic. It's like this new revelation he has to share with people. God is not Catholic. God is God. Do you understand what I'm saying? He doesn't look at us differently based on our ethnicity, or this color of our skin, or our socioeconomic group. God is God. He looks at us as people, and there's no no prejudice with the Lord. He looks at everyone the same. That was Paul's message to a prejudiced society. The Jews back then were very prejudiced. And the Gentiles, Paul's message was, now the Gentiles had the exact same rights as the Jews, and they are together in one body. Look at verse 6. Ephesians chapter 3 Ephesians 3, and we're looking at verse 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Bring them all in, was Paul's attitude. Bring them all in. Now, if you've got people with prejudice, look at Paul bringing all these Gentile dogs in. That was perspective. That was their perspective. Do you think they were upset? Yeah, they were really upset because they didn't like what Paul was doing. But God was showing them this new mystery, this new thing that was unfolding, this secret that was being revealed. It was worth sharing it's worth sharing something God' has shown you. It's worth sharing that the day of prejudice is over, but it's also worth sharing the limitless riches of Christ. Look at verse seven: "Wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift and the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power unto me, who have less than the least of this all saints." is this grace given that I should should preach unto the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul was appointed by God to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. He was appointed to that task. And you know what? When God calls someone to a task, He empowers them for that task. You know, so many people resist and they run from the calling of God. Oh, I can never stand before crowds and speak. Oh, I can never do that. I can never do what you're doing. How do you know? When God gets a hold of our heart, he, he empowers them, doesn't he? God will never ask you to do something he doesn't empower you to do. Are you willing to trust him? The Apostle Paul was sent endowed with the grace for that task the verse 8 again to me, who am less than the least of all saints is given is this grace given. It takes grace to tell people a message that they don't want to hear. Well I'm really glad as we knock on doors at the moment. people are seeing more receptive than they have been in a while. You don't have long conversations, but we have good conversations. We have five-minute conversations and you get the opportunity to ask people questions and they tell you some things what's going on in their life and, and then you pray for them. There's a lady who told us that, uh, that uh, her husband has been in the hospital for seven months and so you don't know what's wrong with him. His name is Ian. I said, we'll pray for you. We'll pray for Ian. Pray for them. It's good to pray for people. It's good to care for people. But God gives us always the grace to tell people the things that they need to hear. But it takes grace to tell people something that they're not ready to respond to. Because not everybody's ready to respond to yes, to, to the gospel. You're, you're telling people that sins can be completely forgiven and, and they can have all their sins washed away. They can have a home in heaven and they're looking at you as if they uh, you have two heads. <laughs> now, I, I have one head. I have less hair in the head. <laughs> it's moved down here. But the point is this. They're just not ready to hear it. They're not ready to hear what they need to hear. They need to hear. Um, I was talking to people on, on yesterday and as we t- knocked on their doors and t- talked to them about the Lord and, and uh, two people said, well, we'll see what happens when we get there. I said, is that how you prepare for a leaving search? You just see what happens when you get there. No, you have to make preparation. We all understand. We have to make preparation. It was just an answer, a stuck answer that they had because they weren't ready to hear what they needed to hear. And you show respect in your kind, and you leave them with a leaflet and ask them to think about it, and sometimes they will, hopefully they will. But it takes grace to tell people things that they don't want to hear or they're not ready to hear. The Apostle Paul was endowed with that grace. As he wrote these words to the Ephesians, he was sitting in prison, so to speak, under house arrest, imprisoned simply for sharing the limitless grace of God and the riches of God, telling people what God has done, how God has invested in our lives, how Jesus came into this world and died on the cross for every creature and treats everybody as the same and there's no discrimination with God and there's no prejudice with God and he was imprisoned for sharing that message. It takes grace to suffer humiliation and deprivation when you should be richly rewarded. I mean, you think, for sharing that message. I remember when I first got right with God, I thought everybody wanted to hear the gospel. I was so excited. You know, I got saved. My sins are forgiven. I was right with God. Everybody wants to know, and they don't. You think they'd be thanking you for sharing how they can be forgiven too, and the peace and the joy that fills your heart, and they can have it too, and they're nothing. It takes grace to share when you get it back in your face with unkind words, right? It takes grace. Yet the apostle, going through all these things, he was imprisoned for his faith, considered himself unworthy of his calling. Look at verse 8. Unto oh, me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given. I, I, I don't deserve this. I mean, he, he didn't complain about his abuse and his suffering. When you and I go through hard things, what do we do? Complain. I'm not complaining, Lord. Look at that, the next string of words are complaints, right? He could have been bitter at Jews who hunted them down to destroy him. He could have been angered by Gentiles who sought to shut down his message because they were, he was interfering with their economics, with their business plan. These people were making all sorts of money making idols. And Paul's message was, there's no idol, there's only God. We don't need idols, we just need the Lord. You unseen, invisible God who made all things. People were getting saved, people were turning from their sins, they didn't want the idols anymore, Gentiles got angry at them. He didn't complain about it. He was more conscious of his unworthiness. He was more conscious of his inadequacy. He didn't have time to get bitter with other people. He was just saying, oh, God, I don't deserve his grace. Deserve this. All his own suffering reminded him of the sufferings of his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would say this he lived Philippians 3 8 to 10. He lived it. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3 verse 8 to 10 so we can see those verses just a few pages over, about five or six pages over. Philippians 3 verse 8 to 10. Paul lived this. He had a, a secret word sharing and he lived there. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. It says here. Ye doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Look what it says here. For whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung. What I mean in Christ. He said, I don't care about all the things I face. I don't care about all the things I've lost because I've gained the prize. Folks, I want to tell you something, if you um, were in a field and you spent all sorts of money on machinery and you had let's say 10,000 euros on your bank account and you spent that 10,000 euros of machinery on your bank account and you emptied your bank account and you found this diamond mine, would you care about the 10,000 euros that you lost? Why would you? You have a diamond mine! And why would anybody who gets a hold of what God has done in their lives and wasn't waiting them on the other side, why would they care about the suffering? Why would they care about what they've been through? Why would they care about the pain? Because they said, hey, it's worth it. It's worth it. And that's what Paul was saying in Christ. Verse 9, and be found in him not having my own righteousness. I don't want my own righteousness. I don't want to come before God and tell him what a good person I am. I was talking to somebody the other uh, yesterday, and, and uh, an elderly gentleman, a very kind gentleman, but he was telling me how good he was. And I told him, by grace you say true faith, and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, it's not of works. Mm-hmm. Our works are not goodness. Paul said, I, I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness. I don't want those things, which is of the law. I'm not going to try and oppress God. by trying to keep his law, because I don't do it anyway. But that was just, through faith of Christ, the righteousness was, which is of God, by faith. I want his righteousness. I want the righteousness of the one who hung on that cross for my sins. Verse 10, that I may know him. Isn't our theme for the, for, the, for the year? That I know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And that's instructive for all of us who feel sorry for ourselves, isn't it? I think we can learn from the Apostle Paul. When we think about ourselves too much, we lose our way, don't we? Paul didn't think about himself at all. He thought about the one who died on the cross for sin. Whenever he started to feel sorry for himself, he thought, you know, the Lord suffered more than I did. The Lord suffered more than I did. Paul had a secret worth showing, sharing, but number two, we're back in Ephesians chapter three, Paul had a secret worth showing. He's a secret worth sharing, and then he also had a secret worth showing. Look at verse nine. Now, this is really cool, some of this stuff. I want to share this. I think this is really cool. Look at verse nine. And to make all men know, Sorry, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden, God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Let's stop there. It's worth showing men the fellowship that we have together. That's what he's saying. To make all men know, uh, sorry, I keep saying no, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. This fellowship that we have The mystery is Jews and Gentiles together being treated as one, where we're all equal. And for us to have this fellowship, this wonderful fellowship, is wonderful. And it it needs to be seen. And Paul was basically saying, it's worth showing people what we have in our church. Satan has spent the last 6,000 years trying to divide people. He successfully put separation between man and God. Then he successfully put separation between man and man. The devil is, is the source of all racism. The devil is the source of every form of discrimination. The devil removes equal opportunity between two equal, equally qualified people. He brings division between man and his neighbor, man and his parents, man and his children, man and his spouse. All that division comes from the devil. Would we agree on that this morning? It doesn't come from God. God gets to blame for that. The blame's been put on the wrong door here. It's been laid at the wrong door. The one who created all things will restore unity. Because it says here in verse 9, unto make all men see what is it? the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the word, world hath been hidden, God who created all things by Jesus Christ, by Christ Jesus. By one great act. The Lord Jesus Christ broke down that middle wall, our partition, that discrimination that was existing between people for years. You know, the place where there should be no discrimination should be in the house of God. Would you agree with that, Amen. Um, this is this is the example of how people should behave. I would say, and that's that, that's by design, brethren. Look at Ephesians chapter two. Look at verse eleven. I mean, I don't even have to turn a page. Verse 11. Wherefore, remember, ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh by hands. So again, the difference between Jews and Gentiles. That in time past ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. I remember going to America and living there for a while. And when I went over and, and when, I emigrated to the States and I got an alien residence card. I was finally an alien. Amen. It's all come out now. I really am an alien. Okay. But the Bible says, we're, we were all aliens at one stage, verse 12, from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, without God in the world. That's what we were. But now in Christ, ye who were sometimes are far off are made near, made nigh by the blood of Jesus. For he is our peace, who had made both one, had broken down the middle of wall of partition between us. Discrimination is Over. How do you see it? In the church, where everyone is treated equally. Are you with me here this morning? Isn't that good stuff? That's what this world needs to see. It needs to see this. On more than one occasion, I've had people visit Gospel Baptist Church, particularly Irish Catholics, have done it, to be honest with you. And they have been amazed at the unity that diverse people have together. It is a tremendous testimony, so much so that they come and say something to me. It's not very often people tell you stuff, you know, when they visit, but they've said that. Because it's a testimony. And that's the whole point. Because it's meant to be a testimony of the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And brethren, this is the mystery that has been hidden in the Old Testament. It's now revealed in the New Testament. It's worth showing men the fellowship we have with each other. But it's also worth showing angels. Like this. I think this is really cool. Look at verse 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places... We're talking about angels here, brethren. Might be known, might be known by the church. The manifold wisdom of God. It's worth showing angels the complexity of the wisdom of God. God isn't just wise; He is has this, all these variations of wisdom altogether. <laughs> You know, how do you explain the manifold wisdom of God? It's, it's, it's this variableness and this—I this, don't even—I just say it's complexity. It's the only word I can think of of His wisdom. Evil angels need—I to I, I, I think this is so interesting. Evil angels need to see what's going on here. They need to see—they need to see how much they don't know. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Because those vile offenders, those evil demons, think they know everything. They spend their existence trying to show us what we're missing out by, by following Jesus Christ. you got devils and demons whispering in your your ear, don't listen to your parents, kids. I know better. You know better. You know, adults, don't go to church. Miss church. Don't bother reading your Bible. Why should you read your Bible? Don't pray. You've better things to do. You've got devils and demons whispering in your ear all the time, trying to get you away from following the Lord Jesus Christ. They spend their existence trying to show us what we're missing out by not following Satan. But one thing they didn't realize, and the one thing the demons don't realize yet, is Satan's a loser. He's a loser. So how do you know? Because I read the Bible. Amen. I know it's going to happen in the end. The Bible says that an angel, not the Lord, but an angel is going to take them and lift them up and throw them in the lake of fire, the eternal lake of fire. Praise God! And we're going to have a hallelujah time when the devil's cast in the lake of fire. Amen. Amen. And the Bible talks about angels. Angels could be people, could be angelic beings. We don't know what they are. Could be one of us. Hey, do it, Lord, I love to do this. Those de- those demons, those evil angels, have backed the wrong horse, to use an Irish expression. Evil angels hate what God has done in churches like ours. And they seek to divide us, but the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God keeps us together. Would you agree with that? GBC is an object lesson of God's wonderful wisdom to evil angels. But what about the good angels? What do they need to learn? Why do they need to watch us? Do you know the Bible says that angels watch us all the time? Did you know that? When church gathers together, the angels are watching that's what the Bible says in the Book of Hebrews. Good angels need to bask in the glorious wisdom of the Lord. Look at verse ten again. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers, so that's good and bad, right, in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. They need an object lesson. They need to see why. Did I make that right decision? When I made a decision when Satan took a third of the angels and and, and, and they departed from God and the two-thirds stayed with the Lord, why was that such a good decision? Look at the church. Look at what God is doing. Before the enemy of the universe began to scheme his diabolical plan, the master of the universe came up with a plan. And he had a counter plan in mind. It makes me think of the game of chess. You know, and the world champion in chess right now is Magnus Carlsen. So let's say you're playing chess and you're playing Magnus Carlsen and you're trying to be smart and you're thinking three or four moves ahead. Now, Magnus Carlsen has this computer-like brain and he's thinking 50 moves ahead. You have a chance against the guy. Because he has all these moves worked out in his brain. If he does this, then I'll do this, then I'll do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this, checkmate. If he does this, then I'll do this, and this, checkmate. You know, all those things are going on in his brain at the same time. Same with the Lord. The (laughs) devil came up with this plan to try and destroy God's creation. The devil puts in people's hearts and minds to say, you know, why would I follow God? Look at all those people starving in those African countries or those South American countries or those Asian countries. What sort of a God would would have that, would allow that? And I want to tell you something. That's a lie of the devil because who is the one that's causing all that starvation? Greedy people who won't feed their own people. That's why it's happening. Because I remember when all this Live Aid was going to, to Ethiopia at the time, I think it was, And I remember one of the drivers was from down the road, he said, we tried to get food into the country, but the government stopped and took us. It's greed that's causing the starvation. You can't blame God for the wickedness of man. Would you agree with that? That's the devil's fault. They're his children. Children of God wouldn't do that. But I want to tell you something. The Lord has all this, he knew all this was happening, and he had a plan. His plan was to counteract it. And you know, the church's job is to proclaim God's plan to the angels, verse 10, to the intent now of their principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. So how do I proclaim God's plan to the angels? Just turn up for church. And be a good Christian. That's how you do it. Because they're looking at how we're interacting. They're saying, wow, wow, wow. How does this happen God? is that amazing? All angels need to behold God's eternal plan. And all angels need to behold redeemed man interacting with God. Look at verse 12. I love this. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him. Now think about this. I know they're big words, but let's break it down. We have boldness. We've got this bravery. We've got this confidence. and It's another word way of saying confidence. So we have this double confidence, so to speak, to be able to access God. Now who is God to us? And uh, who are we to God? We were his enemies. Remember, before we got saved, we were on the wrong side of God. Do you remember that? We were sinners, rebellious, hard-hearted, going our own way, being part of a world system that is anti-God and anti-Christ. We were on the opposite side. But the Lord Jesus Christ crossed enemy lines and he built a cross over to enemy lines and we got saved and we went through the cross. Amen. We went through him. And when Jesus Christ went across ending lines and brought us over to the other side, he didn't bring us across to the other side to be his captives or to be his slaves or to be abused or to be held hostage. But he brought us to the other side to bring us into his royal court and say, what do you need? How can I help you? Huh? Is that how you treat enemies? So God has. Why don't God can act that way. And now we have this wonderful, wonderfully sweet relationship with him and this wonderfully sweet relationship with each other because we have this relationship with him. When we have this great relationship with him, it just spreads, doesn't it? It's wonderful. That's the wisdom of God. And it all happens together in church. In church. The good angels glory in the beauty of this turn of the tide. They love it while the evil angels despise it and they oppose it. But let them see it here in Gospel Baptist Church. Let the angels see what God is doing, amen? Amen. Let people see it, let the angels see it. Paul had a secret worth sharing, he had a secret worth showing, but finally, Paul had a secret worth suffering for. Look at verse 1. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, He was a prisoner. Brethren, to Christ, it was worth going to the cross for a church like this to happen. Verse 6. That the Gentiles might be fellow heirs and of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. What's the gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the suffering and death of the Savior. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. There are people all around the world, and people in this beloved country of ours, that are trying to make their way to God on their own way. And that's not how you do it, they're doing it the wrong way here. The Bible says that Christ suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. The only way he can be brought to God is through the sufferings of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body tree. the only way you can have your sins forgiven is if you give them away. Your sins are spoiling you, they're staining you, they're defiling you, they're destroying you. You need those sins removed. Who will take them away? One Jesus. Philippians two eight, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even to the death of of the cross, Jesus came into this world to die on the cross to so pay for our sins. The gospel is the suffering and death of our Savior, but it's also the burial and the resurrection of the Savior. Praise God, death could not keep us praying. Amen. Amen. First Corinthians 15, verse 4 Christ was buried and He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And if you are going to be saved, you absolutely must embrace the gospel. You must embrace the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. You must embrace the fact that he died for you because if he didn't die for you, you die in your sins, you burn in hell forever. You need to embrace the fact that he rose again breaking the power of sin, death, and hell, and he rose again to break the power of sin over your life. You've got to embrace that. You've got to say, Lord, I don't want my sin. I don't want my own way. I don't want to be stubborn. I don't want to keep going my own direction. I need you. And that sweet humility when you humble yourself and you come before the Lord and you bow to the cross before the cross of Jesus Christ and you give him all your sin and you can do it in your bedroom, you can do it in church, you can do it in your car, you can do it in the field, you can do it anywhere, but just cry out to God and say, God, I want my sin taken away. I just want you. I want your forgiveness. He will gladly wash away every sin you've ever committed and ever will commit. What a blessing. That's the gospel. The gospel doesn't cost us very much. But it cost Jesus everything. We don't have to live in fear of people finding out, oh, we're saved or oh, we're in trouble now. We don't have to live that way. We will not be hunted down, we won't be killed for it, we will not be ostracized for our families. Yeah, we'll get a bit of guff from our families, but we're not they're not gonna kick us out of the family. We won't be thrown out on the street. And that's because we live in the Western world, we don't live in restricted countries. On Wednesday, It began the 30 days of Ramadan when committed Muslims fast and pray, seeking atonement for their eternal souls. So right now, Muslims are celebrating Ramadan, and they're fasting and praying for their souls. And we should pray for them as they pray for themselves, because in certain Muslim countries, Christians are cruelly persecuted and murdered for being nothing else other than a Christian. Somalia and Yemen are top of the list. We should be praying for our dear Christian brethren there, right? be praying for those muslims who are persecuting them it's ramadan month let's pray for muslims pray for their precious souls to be saved because God is in the business of saving souls, no matter who they are. Amen. Mm-hmm. There's no respect of persons with God. It wasn't their fault they were born in a Muslim country. It wasn't your fault that you were born in whatever uh, country you were born in or whatever group you were born in. It was it's just not your fault. You have to make decisions for yourself. I, I talked to a Catholic man yesterday. He says I was born a Catholic. It doesn't matter what you were born. I talked to a Protestant lady, and she says I go to a Protestant, Protestant thing, but she had no interest in hearing the gospel. She was actually quite rude about it. But it wasn't. It doesn't matter what you're born into, everyone has to make a choice for themselves and everybody has the right to hear the gospel. Amen? Amen. Everybody has a right to know that Jesus died on the cross for all their sins. And then it's up to them to what to do, what they're gonna do with that. To Christ it was worth going to the cross. But finally to Paul it was worth going to prison for the mystery to be revealed. Look at verse 1. For this cause, I call the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. It was worth going to prison for him to let the Gentiles know that they have equal opportunity before God, because they didn't believe that, that that was the case. It was worth prison for him to let the Gentiles know that the day of prejudice has come to an end. The middle wall of is down. And fake religion wants to keep prejudice going. But true religion, it's not there. It was worth prison for him to let Gentiles know of the inexhaustible treasures of God. It was worth prison for him to see people from every kindred and every tongue and every people and every nation unite together on a Sunday morning and have unity and enjoy each other. That was worth prison for him. It was worth prison for him to give the angels an open display of the manifold wisdom of God every time churches like Gospel Baptist Church meet to worship, to pray, and to hear the Word of God. It was worth prison to let the secret out. People usually suffer to keep a secret, maybe secret codes or whatever. Paul suffered to make the secret known, making you think of Trevor Snowden. In 2013, Ever, Edward Snowden, I'm sorry, in 2013, for ethical reasons, Edward Snowden leaked classified information from the NSA, the National Security Agency. He disclosed the fact that the USA and Europe are essentially spying on people all over the world with their global surveillance systems. He thought it important enough to risk a lifetime in prison without parole as he fled to Russia. Maybe he was right. That's between him and his conscience. But Paul had a bigger secret to let out. I mean that was a big one, that hit big news. But this is even bigger news. That all the division, all the prejudice, all the discrimination, and I hate the word racism because there's only one human there's only one race. It's called the human race. The word racism is 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 is, is a wrong word to use. There's not different races. There's one race. It's called the human race. We just have different shades of the same color skin. Amen? There's only one race. But all whatever you want to call it, it's broken down through the blood of Jesus. And Paul wanted everyone in the whole world to know there was a place for him or a place for her in the church of God if they're willing to come. And it was worth giving his life to let them die. This morning we saw that Paul had a secret worth sharing, the prejudice was over, and each of us, regardless of all, uh, regardless, should I say, all have access to the limitless grace of Christ. Praise the Lord for that. Secondly, we said Paul had a secret worth sh- showing. Men need to behold the sweet unity God has brought us here in Gospel Baptist Church and churches like ours. By breaking down the ethnic and fake religious barriers. I call it fake religion because religion does bring barriers. Fake religion does. And the angels in heaven need to see it and be in awe of an all-wise God. And finally, Paul had a secret worth suffering for. If this gospel was worth the cross for our Lord, then I ask the question, what is our gospel worth to us? Think about that. If it was worth the cross for our Lord, what's it worth to us? Paul was willing to go to prison to get this message out. What are we willing to do? Are we willing to take that step? Repent of our sins? Turn the faith of Jesus Christ if that's what we need to do? Are we willing to take that plunge and go through the waters of baptism, if that's what we need to do? Are we willing to step outside our comfort zones and tell others, our neighbors, our friends, our family, our loved ones about Jesus Christ, if that's what we need to do? What are we willing to do for Jesus Christ this morning? We've spoken about the revealing of the secret of God's master plan. And I want to ask you the question. Are you part of what God's doing? This is the age where God wants this message to go out. Are you part of that? It was worth suffering for Jesus. It was worth suffering for Paul. What about you? What's it worth to you? Let's go to a word in prayer. Can we do it? Can we do that?